Yesterday, I watched Freaky Friday movie with my daughter. It's about a parent and child that actually switched places for a day. It's a good movie. My daughter said she had no idea what I do and would never want to be in demand planning. So she's hoping she never switches places with me. <laughs> All right, I'm glad it's make-believe. Let's get to it. Welcome. Don't be confused. This is IBF On Demand. I'm your young, attractive, and not-so-humble host, Sophia Wilson. Thanks for the follow, and don't forget to subscribe. Follow my dad on LinkedIn, YouTube, or me on TikTok. I want to thank our sponsor, Arkiva, driving business transformation by solving what others cannot. Great sponsor, great supporter. My name is Sophia. Eric is my dad. Today, we'll talk about what exactly is demand planning and business forecasting, and what the heck my dad and many of you do. This is the way I see things, in a much simpler, easier way than my dad explains it. I have a guest that will help me, which will come soon. First, what is demand planning and business forecasting? Business forecasting is the process of using analytics, data, insights, and experience to make predictions to respond to various business needs. The goal is to go beyond knowing what has happened to provide the best assessment of what will happen in the future to drive better decision making. Demand planning is the process of identifying and managing all demands for goods and services. Basically, you're trying to predict what a company will sell in the future to successfully be able to supply it when it's needed or decide as a company what you want to do. To do this, it looks at data, both internal and external. It uses different types of models and systems. It brings inputs and insights from various sources, and it takes knowledge and experience. These predictions or forecasts are important to business. Having bad forecasts, you may make poor decisions. Also, failing to plan demand can result in loss of sales or even worse, lost customers, wasting money, or having inventory screwed up. Having good forecasts, you may have what the customer needs when they want it, make more money, save money, become more profitable, meet the strategic goals of the company, and make better decisions. Every decision is based on the lag of what you know now and what you think will occur in the future. Every decision is based on a forward-looking projection. This makes better business, better decisions, only as good as the unbiased and unconstrained forecast upon which it is based. Which makes demand planning and business forecasting just that more important. I do have a guest today that knows a little bit about this topic. He just doesn't explain it as good as I do. Eric Wilson, as you know, the director and thought leadership with IBF, and the usual host of this podcast. He's been doing this stuff for like 25 years, which just means he's old. He wrote some books, goes places and speaks, even though he won't take me on trips with him. Won some types of awards, and he's my dad. Welcome, Dad. Glad you can be a part of my podcast. Well, thank you for allowing me to be on my podcast and FYI, just because we're changing roles here does not mean I'm going to do your math homework. That I can't understand that new math. It's, it's way too difficult for me. What about taking me on your next trip? What do you think about that? Okay. Okay. Let's see about that. But you're not going anywhere until you finish cleaning your room. That I know already. So let's just get, get to the other questions. Okay. We know that demand planning and business forecasting is important. In your words or opinion, why do you think they are important? Okay, it's a good question. Basically, 
demand planning, business forecasting, they allow businesses to make better informed decisions. You can see or at least have a better idea of what's going to happen before it occurs. There's a, there's a phrase that I always got picked on for, for using a lot. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. I'm not saying that demand planners, business forecasters, that they are the kings or queens. Okay, maybe in the business world, they might be. But what I am saying is demand plans and forecasts are. With demand planning and business forecasts, you can decide what to order. You can set inventory policies. You can help determine investments, drive financial numbers, predict market impacts, understand your customers better. So there's a lot of value in demand planning and business forecasting. Is there a difference between demand planning and demand forecasting? Okay, yes and no. People use the terms almost synonymously. Typically or technically, a forecast is any prediction of what's going to happen in the future to respond to various business needs. It can be used in strategic planning and assessing risk, you know, long-term type planning, used in SNOP processes or drive a consensus one-number type of SNOP plan, it, used in finances and accounting, FP&A processes, budgets, control costs as well, marketing to understand consumer behavior, life cycle management, different pricing, things of that sort. Demand plan is generally forecasting of demand or orders and is generally volume-based then. It's based on units or orders or sales. Majority of companies, when you're looking at demand plan, they're using demand planning to drive operations, supply chain activities, resource planning, production, logistics, inventory policies, and what they have in inventory. But really, when you're looking at demand planning or business forecasting, it, whatever you're going to call it, it, it's really much, much more. It goes back really to that prior question you just asked. Demand planning, business forecasting, it helps make better business decisions. So whatever we're going to call it, yes, there's some technical differences between the two. Whatever you're going to call it, really, it's expanding its role and helping drive business needs. It's making the best prediction of what's going to happen in the future to solve for various business problems. There are a lot of parts and things that you do. What are some key elements and steps to demand planning? Great question. Demand planning is really about more than just a number. I mean, a lot of people think about forecasting as the result or what answer did you get at the end. But really, it's about a process. And in that process, there's a lot of different elements. I mean, it involves data collection. This can be from multiple sources, looking for relevant inputs. It's understanding what exactly is out there as far as inputs and insights, and then knowing how we can bring those in. It's about data analysis, because all that information and data you're getting isn't always necessarily the cleanest and usable in its current format. So it's not only data collection, but then when you get it, it's an analyzing that data, doing something with that data. 
It could be looking for outliers, looking for anomalies in the data, could be formatting issues that occur, could be determining what is relevant and how relevant something is and making sure you're using the right amount of data. Because not part of when you're looking at data, not all the data is relevant. And so you're looking for that relevant information. Part of your data analysis is understanding which is relevant to be able to improve a forecasting process. Other parts are statistically modeling it or understanding exactly what you to do with that data to produce some type of output. It's finding the best methods that fit your data and the problem and understanding what that data is trying to say, what question you're trying to solve and what is giving you closest to helping solve for that problem you have inside your organizations. Most will have some type of collaborative process as well to bring in other inputs and overrides, sometimes even judgmental type of inputs into your process as well. Not only is this an element, but a challenging part of the process for a lot of companies and a lot of organizations as well. All of this generally drives to some type of consensus forecasting. When you're really driving to a one number type of attitude uh, and bringing everyone on the same page of what you think is going to happen in the future. Then one of the most important elements after all of that that is really overlooked is managing those results. It's properly communicating the forecast, assumptions, the uncertainty. It's explaining what and why this is the expected result. It's educating others on what's in the forecast and why something may not be in the forecast then as well. It's also measuring and tracking that uncertainty and error as well. All these elements you mentioned, I mean, they're in the definition that you, you mentioned the very, very beginning. It's data analytics, insights, and knowledge to make the best prediction of what's going to happen in the future. It's all those elements of data, analytics, insights, knowledge, and really above all those things or in addition to all those things, we cannot forget the communication aspect as well. I think that's equally important. All those are aspects of forecasting process, which is, I said, more than just a number. It's really that process. It really envelops all those different elements. What are some types or data used in forecasting? When it, when it comes to data, I mean, as I said, you want to look at relevant inputs. What I mean... These are things that add value to your forecast, add value to the process that you're doing. This can be a lot of different types of data. It can be internal data, such as sales orders, uh, different types of demand data, other types of information you may have internally inside your own four walls of your organization. could be external data, which a lot of companies are starting to look, look at now as well. This could be customer information, could be macro data, data information. It could be demographics, understand your consumers better. Data can be either time-related. This is back to like your order history, something that's time-related and time-type sequential buckets going backwards. Or it could be kind of cross-sectional data or causal information like a promotion that you run or, you know, weather data, you know, the amount of rain is correlated to the sales of umbrellas. That's cross-sectional type of data. All this data is useful. In addition to this, we could be looking at structural data. Structured data are things that can be put 
easily in rows and columns. Uh, and it, it's information that you can easily glean this happens, this happens. Unstructured data are things you can't necessarily put in an Excel spreadsheet, in a rows and columns. It actually represents over 85% of the data out there that's and being produced right now. This is like comments and things on social media. I mean, we're seeing the impact now of a lot of this unstructured data and things that are happening if we can translate that into our forecasting. Example, I mean, Dualupa is <laughs> tweeting about your product. It could have a huge impact on your... Dualipa, Dad. Okay. Maybe Barry Manilow <laughs> is putting something on Facebook. Is that, is that you think, better for my audience then? Whoever it is, you're, you're looking at some type of social media. You're, you're finding unstructured data that can actually tell you something. It's what's happening with your product, what's happening with your customer, how your customer is going to react to it, that you then can forecast better. Those are all unstructured type of data. And either, I mean, taking the unstructured data or structured data, what you're trying to do with whatever input you're bringing in, whatever data you have, is you're trying to find value to your forecast. One other thing, too, I don't want to forget, though, that when we're talking about data, we talked about a lot of different types of data. When talking about data, data can be subjective as well. And subjective data has its place and is important. This is, we're going to sell more next year. Those are judgmental subjective information. Those are important inputs as well. Those are different types of data that actually may be relevant and add value to your process. Whatever data you're looking at, what you're trying to do is you're trying to add value, brings you closer to what the consumer is doing, consumer response is, and brings you also closer to what will happen in the future. That's what you're trying to do with data. And there's a lot of different types of data out there to help you answer those questions and get you closer to that end result. What about models and methods? Which ones are used the most? Wow. There's actually a couple questions here. One is, which ones use the most, which you asked. The other one out would be, what models and methods are out there? And, and almost like the types of data, when I talked about, you know, there's a whole lot of data, different types of data, a lot of different, you know, data out there. There's also a lot of methods, a lot of models out there as well that you can use to model that data, the different types of data. And, and partly that's the reason why you have a lot of different models out there, because there's a lot of different types of data out there. There's a lot of different types of problems you're trying to solve. There's a lot of amount of data that you have. Beam, you have all these different variations, inputs, you have a lot of different models to solve for it. Another reason, because not every problem you face is going to be a nail. The hand, taking a hammer to every single problem you have doesn't solve every problem. You need a toolbox full of a lot of different tools. That's the reason why we have a lot of different types of methods, a lot of different models out there. When you're looking at those models that are out there, it can be everything from a pure type of qualitative uh, and knowledge-based type of, of, of model. These are very subjective. It could be an expert opinion. Uh, it could be a sales force, you know, where they're giving each of them, you know, gives their own estimate of sales, and then you're aggregating those things up. Those are, you know, qualitative, judgmental-based 
or knowledge-based type of models. On the other side, you can go to a almost pure or more of a quantitative approach using AI, even though I hate that term, or machine learning uh, type of methodologies where it's more machine-based and it's more of an iterative machine type of process that is driving those results with less human intervention into the process then as well. In between, there's everything else. And that's where your answer is going to be, a combination of multiple ones or everything else. In the middle, there are various types of time series methodologies and approaches. There's causal models and ratios, etc. Now, back to, I think, your original question of which ones are used most. Said, there's no right or wrong answer here, but IBF does a lot of research. And according to IBF research, right now, most companies use time series types of data in their modeling. And most systems, their top method or approach is exponential smoothing. Does it make it best? Uh, not necessarily. It does make it a versatile type of method, and it's good for a lot of time series data. That said, I mentioned there's a lot of other data out there. There's a lot of great data that does great work. Another IBF research is during covid 60% of companies went to some external data source to try to explain what was going on. That's a lot of causal methodologies or ratios or even machine learning that are now being introduced into forecasting processes now. What we're also seeing is, you know, ratio methodologies, naive methods, very simple methods can produce good results with little effort then as well. And Guess what? If you can produce a good result with little effort, effort, that's golden for most forecasters and forecasting uh, processes then as well. Others, they may use more complicated machine learning algorithms to provide a good baseline. And they can get some incremental improvements by looking at multiple different types of data, multiple inputs, and really drive a good baseline with machine learning. There's no right or wrong answer. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to say. With methods models, as many data sets as they're going to be methods and models. One size does not fit all. And really, you're trying to find the one that best fits your problem, best fits the data, best fits your capabilities there, interpretability versus you know precision. There's a lot of considerations going into it. There's a lot of different methodologies to help fit whatever your needs may be. In my intro, I mentioned that decisions are only as good as the unbiased and unconstrained forecast that are built on. Can you help explain what I meant by unbiased and unconstrained? Yeah, happy to. Uh, it's an important consideration as well. Biased is the intentional or consistent over or under forecasting. It could be something like sales always calling something high because they want to create inventory or finance, pushing the number down to protect against potential spend or actually reducing inventory. It could be an unconscious bias as well. It could be an unconscious optimism or a or anchor bias where you're, it's a target that you're shooting for and you're driving that uh, number, your forecast closer to. Whatever it would be, these are an, an intentional or unintentional, but a consistent over and under forecasting. We're going to you know, sell 100. Well, I'm going to forecast 110. 
I'm going to forecast 80. They have a negative impact then on the decisions you're making. Either one, high or low, is dangerous and not giving a true picture of the future and the impacts of the decisions that you're making. Or worse yet, it's trying to manipulate the decisions that are made off of that forecast. It deteriorates the trust in the forecasting process. It doesn't give you the complete picture of what's going to happen. So bias, I mean, sometimes it's, it's actually worse than the uncertainty of the forecast itself for some organizations if it's not disclosed, it's not identified, and it's not taken care of. So that's, that's the bias piece. You want to try to take bias out of your process wherever possible. It always exists. It exists in inputs, your process, your outputs, how someone interprets your forecast as well. So it always exists. But the best you can, you want an unbiased. Now, the other side is constrained. Constrained actually is not only interjects some bias some many times, but it also hides or masks what the customer truly wants and what or what the market wants. You need to be then as unconstrained as possible as well, which means it's based on your orders or it's based on what and when the customer would want something, not necessarily the constraints you may have internally, uh, you, constraints you put in because of what you can build or, or when you want to build it. Those are decisions. Those are responses to what the customer truly wants. If you forecast what the customer truly wanted, when the customer wanted, then your response to that may be no. Maybe I can't do it. I don't want It's going to cost too much to do it. I could do it, but it's going to cost me this, 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 and I decide no. A proper response may be no. But to allow that discussion to even occur, you need to have a full view of what the customer demand is, not a constrained view of what the customer would want. You need to make decisions on the full amount of information and the complete picture. So to do that, To make that decisions, you need an unbiased and as unconstrained as possible prediction of what's going to happen in the future. This is so you can see the gaps, so you can make the better decisions, and you can understand exactly what the consumer wanted. So then in the future, you can maybe make a decision to fulfill that by doing this, this, this in the future. To have those discussions, though, unconstrained, unbiased, those are the keys you really need to be able to have those type of discussions. Final question, but what do you see in the future of demand planning and business forecasting? Okay, it's another great question. And I, I see the continued kind of evolving and growth uh, in importance. Uh, it will it continue to evolve as a field uh, it, with the new technology, with new capabilities, and with the greater insights and really companies driving to be more analytically driven, I see the importance with it as well. I always say as one thing becomes commoditized, something else becomes a premium. Right now you're seeing the, you know, big data, AI, and, and these terms being thrown out. And really, that is what's going to become commoditized. The, the data, the algorithms, the science part of things, 
that's going to become commoditized. What becomes the premium then is understanding the outputs, communicating those, being able to tell a story, being able to manage the business aspects of the forecasting process that a AI won't be able to do for decades. You still need to be able to manage the process. You still need to be able to tell a story with those numbers. Those things will become more and more the premium. I always say we're storytellers that uses numbers as our language. That's going to be continued going in the future as well. Mentioned earlier, when you asked about the elements that were not about that number, we're really about communicating. We're really about managing the process. That's not going away. That makes demand planning not only important now, but even more important in the future as we see this field evolve, as we see the growth and importance of it become more and more prominent. Thanks for being my guest. I'll see you at home, Dad. It was great being on my podcast with you uh, being able to ask a question questions. You did a great job today. Uh, so thank you very much. And, and by the way, I'll see you later. And don't forget, you still need to clean your room when you get home. I can't say that was the best guest we've ever had on this podcast, but I definitely got some good information. I said the good forecast led to good things from companies. IBS research shows 15% improvement from forecasts equals 2 to 3% of the bottom line of companies. That's real money. Focusing on the people, the process, and technology to create better demand planning is so important. So continue to tune in and support IBF.org to learn even more. Thank you for watching or listening. I'm sure everything will go back to normal next episode. Subscribe and continue to support the podcast. Also support IBF and go to IBF.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Arkiva, driving business transformation by solving what others cannot. Now I understand what my dad does and why he talks about all this weird stuff all the time. One thing my dad always taught me as a life lesson, don't forget, wash your hands. Everything in between. So there's a lot of different ones out from time series to causal to, you know, subjective models. There's a bunch out there. We should use that somewhere in there.